Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you from socially distant locations at Lambeau Field. Wes, as we head into Super Bowl weekend, we are going to find out on Saturday night, I'm assuming we are going to find out on Saturday night, that Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers will be a three-time NFL Most Valuable Player Award winner, 2011, 2014, and I, certainly all, th- all signs are pointing to him winning it again in 2020. I'm just going to throw an open-ended question out your way. With regard to Rodgers' play specifically, when you look back at the 2020 season, what will you remember most? What stands out to you about it? Him playing on time again is the number one thing. There were so many years where between, an, I think there was a couple different things in play. One, he's talked it a lot about is the, the you know, him breaking his leg in, in 18 and, you know, the knee injuries and everything else that he was dealing with. He just, he was still Aaron Rodgers, but it was kind of like the wounded, you know, wolf a little bit. Like he just wasn't able to be what he always has been because of some of the limitations that were holding him back. But then I think there were also certain things that he had to work his way out of, and he had to gain, regain a comfort level uh, in the offense. And being able to make this transition from Matt LaFleur's scheme, uh, from Mike McCarthy's scheme to Matt LaFleur's scheme, and, and the, trend, the, the switch and the maturation process you saw from 19 to 20, uh, th- this is the best player in the National Football League. And for him to not only get the 48 touchdown passes and have 121 passer rating, 0.5, the second best of his career, but Mike, that 70.7 completion percentage for a guy that was for so long kind of maligned for throwing the ball away too too much and you know extending the plays when and, and you know not being quick triggered. He played on time, as he said in his appearance with Pat McAfee. He regained, you know, the, the confidence in his knee and his hitch, you know, being able to, to sink into it better. And and as he mentioned, because you think about the game of football and it's just, Oh, just go back and throw the ball. But every single movement that's part of his drop back, it all lines up with where the receivers are in their routes, the timing of the play. And that's why he felt like the timing was better. And that's why he felt the accuracy was better for Aaron Rodgers to go 70.7 completion percentage. When you ask me about 2020, that'll be the first thing that always comes to mind. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable that a quarterback in his 13th year as a starter would set uh, both personal bests and franchise records in the categories of touchdown passes and completion percentage, the 48 TDs and the 70.7, as you mentioned, I think what stands out to me the most, it goes along with what you said about playing on time, but the way I would phrase it or the, the way I'll remember it is his command of the game. And I say that not because Aaron Rodgers hasn't played like this before. And, you know, the command that he showed at the line of scrimmage with making the checks and just looking like he was always in control of what was going on out there. We've seen that before. He's won MVPs before the run the table in 2016. We saw Aaron Rodgers playing like that with that sort of command at the line of scrimmage. But what stood out to me about it this year is that he achieved that level of command in just his second year in a brand new offense. We didn't see it in 2019 when he and all the other players on offense were learning Matt LaFleur's system and were trying to get accustomed to it. And Rodgers' command of the offense and of everything that was going on in the field went to another level in 2020, just his second year in this offense. And, and the, uh, um, 
the progress, the maturation of everything, his mastery of this offense just in a second season, I think speaks volumes of the kind of player he is, both both mentally and then obviously physically with the things that that you talked about, the way he the way he got his game physically back to where we had seen it in the past. He reminds me almost like of a professor, right? Where, you know, there's certain, you know, men and women out there, they're going to be incredibly intelligent. They're going to have high IQs. They're going to be able to research and, and see things and, you know, go through their doctorate program. But the more knowledge that you gain over the years, the stronger that makes you from whether it's a critical thinking aspect or an argumentation or just being able to present facts to a classroom. That's where I, I saw Rogers this year. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And because of that knowledge base that he has, everything that he's looked at on the field, he's seen it for the most part in some shape or form before and being able to get his physical aspect of that back, you know, being able to be confident to stand tall in the pocket. And, and also Mike, Give credit to this too, the scheme. How many times this year did he go out of his way to mention, you know, what Nathaniel Hackett, Matt LaFleur, and Luke Getze, what these coaches had come up with? Uh, it was innovative, it was creative, and he was, in, you know, he was obviously embracing what, what that change was the last two seasons. And when somebody asked me this, you know, in year three now, what do you expect in Matt LaFleur's scheme? You know, I expect them to take it to another level because there's still things they can work on. Certainly, we got to figure out what this backfield looks like. I'm sure there's going to be a couple new offensive weapons that'll be added this offseason through either the draft or free agency. But seeing where they take this now when, okay, now you've established Robert Tunyon, you have Devontae Adams considered one of the best in the game. And this multitude of, you know, that, that illusion of complexity that we always talk about, I, I think you're going to see LaFleur and Hackett go back into the, you know, the lab this offseason and find some more stuff to, to bring this offense back and, and, and make them even more potent. And, and obviously, as we heard earlier this week, Aaron Rodgers is a massive part of that plan. Yeah, no question about it. And the historical significance of this being a third MVP for Rodgers, again, assuming that he is named that MVP on Saturday night, which is what we all expect. The significance of this is, is pretty astounding because only five other players in the history of the Associated Press NFL Most Valuable Player Award, which dates back to 1957, only five other players have ever won it three times. And that list is Peyton Manning, who tops the list with five MVPs. But then the other three-time winners are Tom Brady, Brett Favre, Johnny Unitas, and Jim Brown. And Aaron Rodgers adding his name to that list, he mentioned it um, during the season when the question was posed to him, what would it mean to you to, uh, to join a list of players like that? And of course he said it'd be in incredibly special. Um, he would always trade the MVPs for another Super Bowl, of course, but, um, but he's well aware of the, of the legacy that, that he's establishing. And when you think about, as we've been talking about what he did in his second year in Lafleur's offense, and maybe where this is headed in year three, year four for him and Lafleur's offense, three MVPs, he, he might not be done. Now, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, lots of other really good quarterbacks. Tom Brady's not done playing yet either. Yeah. But, um, um, but to say, you know, you, you can't even say that this is by any means the last hurrah for Aaron Rodgers being in an MVP race based on how he played in 2020. Yeah. And when you look at Brady now too, Mike, I mean, you know, certainly he has to stay healthy. You got to avoid disaster in the pocket and, and those things that can change, you know, in an instant, but for him to be able to play at this level at 43, I have to imagine Aaron Rodgers looks at that and is inspired to, to what he could potentially do. No I, was talking with, I was talking with James Jones a couple of weeks ago uh, for a story. I was trying to write on Devonte Adams that we will write at some point. 
uh, and also was asking him about Aaron Rodgers and his candidacy for this. And he said, there's two things that really stood out to him and why he thinks he can play into his forties. And it's one, he has natural arm talent. Uh, not the kind of stuff that you're just going to go walk into a weight room and just you know build up your arm strength or just make yourself into something that you maybe naturally aren't. Uh, he throws the ball hard and far, and he doesn't have to do like put a lot into it to be able to accomplish that. It's just God-given ability that he's been able to cultivate over the years with his mechanics. And for that reason, James thinks he's going to be able to play well into his 40s. And then when you look at the fact that he is taking care of himself the way that he has, I don't know if he's on the the TV 12 type diet that <laughs> that Tom Brady's on yeah. that. I don't think I could survive more than six hours if it was up to me. But he obviously years ago, whether it was his, you know, looking into the gluten and lactose and those type of things, Rogers made a commitment in his early 30s. Now he's sitting at 37 in these early thirties that he wanted to play into his forties. He yeah. wanted to be able to, how many times we heard about the back nine analogy that he used. And it wasn't just the weight room. It wasn't just squatting. It was his diet. And Rogers is an incredibly disciplined human being. And for that reason, yeah, he's at 37. We're going to see what the future holds. I personally, I'm really embracing this whole beautiful mystery thing that he brought up a couple of weeks ago. We can't predict what is going to happen. You don't know when the last time is ultimately that you're going to step on a field. So yeah, just let it play out and see where it takes us. But certainly uh, at 37, Brady at 43, really showing no signs of slowing down. It looks like he wants to even maybe take it past 45 now or whatever he was saying in the media this past week. Right. Yeah. I think we got to stop trying to put timelines on everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one other MVP note to put this in perspective for Packers fans with Rogers winning his third MVP since the advent of the Associated Press Award in 1957. This will now be the ninth MVP that the Green Bay Packers have won. Uh, Paul Hornick, Jim Taylor, Bart Starr each won one MVP in the Lombardi era in the 60s. Favre won three, Rogers won three. That is nine. And if you look at Wes, you look at the Packers current NFC North rivals, Minnesota, Chicago, and Detroit, those three franchises have won a combined five MVPs yeah. in the time that the Packers have won nine. So Green Bay has almost doubled up on its competitors. For those who are wondering, the five MVPs, Adrian Peterson, Fran Tarkenton, Alan Page for the Minnesota Vikings. Barry I would not Sanders, have gotten Alan Page. Barry Sanders, who taught, who uh, shared one with Brett Favre. Brett right. Favre's third one was shared with Sanders. And then Walter Payton of the Chicago Bears in 1977. Yeah, Alan Page. Um, that would have snuck up on me. I would have gotten 19, the other four. 1971. As you can tell, I was doing some research for <laughs> what we're going to be posting over the, over the weekend here on the website. But Alan Page, one of the few defensive players yeah. to win the uh, NFL's Most Valuable Player Award in 1971, the last defensive player to win it, actually, 1986, Lawrence Taylor. It's been all quarterbacks and running backs since 1986 to uh, to win the award. Wide receivers never won it. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that, never is, happened. that is true. Um, Don Hutz, I mean, back before the Associated Press, as I say, I referenced the 1957, mm -hmm. the birth of the Associated Press Award. There was a league MVP uh, back in the forties and Don Hudson for the Packers won that a couple of times, but it's not recognized in the same way that the associated press won as far as the, the history books dating back to 57, when Jim Brown won the first two in, in 57 and 58. So Sirius XM NFL radio channel 88 Wes is the only radio outlet dedicated to the national football league, seven days a week, 365 days a year. 
the other news that will be coming out this weekend prior to the Super Bowl will be the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2021. And again, another assumption, another expectation that we have for this weekend is that former Packers defensive back Charles Woodson will become a first ballot Hall of Famer. This is his first year of eligibility. I can't imagine that he's not going to get in. Um, and uh, here's, here's a couple things, a couple of statistics to throw your way with regard to this, West. Charles Woodson played 18 seasons in the National Football League as a defensive back, which is remarkable. He played only seven of those 18 in Green Bay. He played the other 11 in Oakland on both the front end, the back end of his stint in Green Bay. But you could really make the argument that the seven years in Green Bay is what took Charles Woodson from, you know, the Pro Bowl caliber player to a Hall of Famer when you look at what he did. And I'll throw a couple of numbers your way. Woodson finished his career with 65 interceptions, 38 of those 65 came in seven years in green Bay. And he scored 14 defensive touchdowns in his career. 10 of those 14 as a member of the Packers, those 10 defensive touchdowns, nine interception returns. Both of those are green Bay Packers defensive franchise records. So what he did, what he did in seven years in Green Bay, it, uh, it it's it's in the history books. It's not going anywhere, Wes. And uh, this will be uh, yet. An, I mean, the Packers have had a pretty good run. I believe he'll be the sixth Hall of Famer uh, that the Packers lay yeah. claim to over the last uh, you know about eight years, eight or nine years. Um, and uh, um, yeah, Charles Woodson certainly deserving of that gold jacket. It's funny because everybody always people like to put the MLB like metric on all this stuff. Like, and even my father, God bless him, said to me uh, when I when I stopped over at their house uh, a couple nights ago, mentioned, uh, you know, hey, is he going to go in as a as a Packer or a Raider? This is how you know how great Charles Woodson is. It isn't about claiming Charles Woodson. It's the fact that he had incredible careers in both places. Right. Uh, as you Much said, like Reggie White with the Philadelphia absolutely. Eagles and the Green Bay Packers. Very I think you could actually, you could take his seven years in Green Bay, maybe tack on an extra two or something on either side of it. That was a Hall of Fame career in itself, what he did in <laughs> yeah, Green Bay. And for him to then make the transition to safety, his last season in the National Football League, I think he was second team all pro at safety. Um, he He went in. Uh, you know, when you go back to think about the all the juice behind him when he came into the league, the Heisman, everything. I mean, he had these incredible expectations, and that's not always easy to live up to for any player, let alone a defensive back, uh, because there are certain things that have to happen in order for you to make plays. And and what I loved about Charles Woodson's story is, you talk about Ted Thompson and and the building of a of a football team and a championship. Super Bowl 45 team in, in 2000, you know, six to, to 2010 in that window, Woodson was the reluctant hero in that he was the guy that necessarily didn't want to come to green Bay at first, maybe even waited a little extra longer on the free agent market to see if something else would come along. It didn't. And he had to work through some rough spots early in his career. You've heard some of the stories about practices and things like that, but man, when he, it's like, it's almost like the, uh, like the, the teenager analogy, right? Like they get kind of rambunctious and then they settle in, they learn from their mistakes yeah. and they become a galvanizing force. Uh, he became that on this football team. And when you think back to that Super Bowl 45 championship, him being able to win defensive player of the year in 2009, 
what a remarkable run he was on and people just were magnetized to him, to his energy, to his leadership. I will never forget. I was not on the, I was all, I only covered him seven games really when he, the seven games before he got injured in 2012. But the thing that always will stand out to me is that Charles Woodson being able to go into a locker room after those games, he only talked usually once a week. And he'd always have a custom made suit for every yeah. single home game, probably yeah. road game too. I didn't cover those. Yes, he did. He, did. he, he would be at his locker. Everything would be cleared out basically a lot of times by the time he finally turned around to address the media and he'd just sit there and he would talk and he would talk whatever the topic of discussion was. He'd be there until basically media was done with him, And then he'd go about his way. And I, in all these years I've covered the national football league, doesn't matter if I'm in the Packers locker room or an opposing team locker room. I, to this day, have never seen anyone like Charles Woodson. He just, he was a brand into himself. Yeah. He was, there was just a weird type of kinetic energy that you just, just felt every time you were in his, his presence. And and now obviously getting the highest honor of all. Yeah. That's, that's what it was for me. And, and I covered his entire career in green Bay. His arrival in green Bay was actually the same year, 2006 that I got hired for this job at packers.com. So I covered his entire time in green Bay and, uh, and he just, yeah, the best way I can put it is he, he had a presence about him that was just, that was just different. That was, uh, as you say, magnetizing. And we hear that with a lot of players around the league, not just a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who certainly has a presence too. We heard about that and felt it with Julius Peppers and Mercedes Lewis, who's been in the locker room now for the last couple of years, but even Charles Woodson, there, there was, there was a presence a presence about him that was just different from anybody, any other NFL player that, uh, that I've been around. And here's, here's another thing, again, a statistic to put things in perspective, your good friend, Wes Leroy Butler, who let the cat out of the bag, apparently a week or two ago on Twitter that good for him. as a, as a finalist for the hall of fame, he did not get selected this year. Yeah. Um, and we'll certainly be um, rooting for him in the coming years to, uh, to finally get over this hump, so to speak. Because you and I both believe Leroy Butler deserves to be in Canton as a Hall of Famer. Leroy Butler played 12 years with the Green Bay Packers and intercepted 38 passes. Charles Woodson played seven years with the Green Bay Packers and intercepted 38 passes. They are tied for fourth. These are regular season statistics. They are tied for fourth on the Packers all-time list for interceptions. And uh, and Woodson played five fewer seasons in Green Bay than Butler did. I mean, what uh, what Charles Woodson did, it wasn't, it, you can't even say it was just like a, a rebirth of his career. It's like what you said, it was almost, his time in Green Bay was almost a Hall of Fame career in and of itself. And um, I, I don't know what the summer of 2021 holds as far as how the induction is going to take place. I've been to Canton for the inductions of Brett Favre and Jerry Kramer. I would love to go there for Charles Woodson Woodson's as well and reconnect with him and get to talk with him and provide some stuff on Packers.com. I don't know what next summer holds. We'll just yeah. have to, we'll just have to wait and see. But, uh, um, but whenever that time comes to get to chat with them, I'll definitely look forward to it. One other thing, I'm glad you brought that up about, you know, how he sort of reinvented himself in green Bay. It's something that has become more prevalent now in the NFL. You see these defensive backs, these boundary cornerbacks making switches to safety or the nickel. That's what was beautiful about Charles Woodson is that he was an exceptional shutdown cornerback for so much of his career, but then he ends up going into the slot. He ends up making finally the transition 
transition to the back end. I remember that was a huge, remember how big that story was in 2012 when it was like, Hey, is Charles Woodson going to play safety? And he just made plays no matter where he was. And he adapted his style. Uh, I still, to this day, I, I know Rex Ryan did not like the fact that, that Woodson got defensive player of the year over Darrell Rivas in 2009. Right. right. But man, that season that Woodson had was so special. And Incredible. when, when at the time you realize, oh, you got to get seven, eight interceptions, that's a big deal. But then when you cover the league for as long as I have now, almost a decade of covering the league and, and obviously you, you even longer, you start to realize when you get moments like that on the, the front end of your journalism career, you realize how rare they are when that stuff doesn't happen yeah. anymore afterwards. Right. You, you get, I think, what was it? Dar- Darnell Savage had, four picks this year. And I thought that was a really good year for him. Some guys just can go find the football and make a play on the football. And as you said, 10 return for a touchdown. He's a, he was a hall of famer. He was in that. When you talk about the aura that he had in the locker room, that was a part of the aura. When you were talking to Charles Woodson, you understood that this guy is going to Canton. Yep. This guy is going to, ha- is one of the be- very best to ever play his position. And as I said, from the get go, the expectations he had never shied away from him. And those type of individuals are just built differently. They just have something in them that is different than most human beings. Yeah, no question about it. Well, one last thing before we go here, Wes, just uh, get your thoughts quickly on Super Bowl 55, the Kansas City Chiefs against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Any thoughts on how you see this one shaking out? So I like to go all in on these things, right? Everyone, <laughs> That's a big topic right now in Inbox is all in. Right. Um, I don't like to uh, parse my words. I think Kansas city wins this handily. If they don't, fortunately you and I aren't shooting any of these for a while. So we, I won't even really have to answer for it, but I'll be honest with you, Mike. I, I don't want to say I'm getting like Denver Seattle vibes from this game, but I I'm wondering, I don't know how competitive it's going to be. We're going to see. Yeah. I, I just feel like Kansas city has found something again. And I think, Patrick Mahomes has played in that environment. I saw some of these sentiments about, well, Mahomes has played Brady and he's lost to Brady a lot. And I'm like, okay, but I mean, like, like Holmes is Mahomes is the one he's on the throne right now. Right. Like Brady's in here with a new team. Yeah. I, I just feel like the Kansas city brought back a lot of guys from that ball club last year. They've been there. They know what it's like. Technically it's kind of a road game for them that they'll be traveling uh, over the weekend, but all things considered, I, I just I expect Kansas City to win this thing by two touchdowns. I'm with you. I think I think Kansas City is the better team, and I, I do think Kansas City is going to have an opportunity to win this game handily. The one thing, the two two things I will say. One is that Kansas City is going to be without uh, a starting offensive tackle in Eric Fisher, and yeah. we saw obviously. The Packers, the the absence of David Bakhtiari finally did catch up with the Packers there in the NFC Championship game. That defensive front of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is no joke. Um, But Patrick Mahomes, as far as the scrambling around, improvising, doing things on the run, whatever, he's as good as there is, as good as anybody in the game right now. So I don't know if that has as big an impact. The other thing I will say, not to state the obvious, but it's the turnover thing, Wes. I, as I had said, leading up to the NFC championship game, the Buccaneers don't beat the saints. If the saints don't turn the ball over. Right. And even in the NFC title game, I know the Packers ultimately won the turnover battle three to two, Right. but when the turnover started two to zero and it was 14 to zero in points off turnovers at that stage, that was too big of a hole for the Packers to climb out of. Yes. And I, I don't think if, if the Packers don't turn the ball over, I don't think they lose the NFC title game. 
So I'm going to say the same thing. I, if, if Patrick Mahomes, if the Kansas City Chiefs, if that offense doesn't turn the football over, I think they're going to be able to put up plenty of points to, to, to win this game by multiple scores. That's just, that, that's just how I see it. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, and that is one thing. I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because when I was, if you go back to all of our stuff the week before the Buccaneers game, I wasn't, I, at least the best of my knowledge, I don't think I was saying, hey, they got to win the turnover differential. No, the Packers needed to not turn over the football. That's what I was saying too. And, I, I would have taken yeah. 0-0 in the NFC championship game. Just like the, the Rams game. Right. If the Just turnover, like the Rams game. Right. If the turnovers are 0-0, I, I think the Packers would have had the edge. Yeah. And uh, and once Green Bay started to turn the ball over, it just everything with the game got thrown out of whack. And, and it didn't become the type of game the Packers wanted to play. Yeah. And, and now again, Mahomes did have some turnovers in December. We'll have to see if, if yep. uh, you know, the bucks can be opportunistic here, but no I just, I just think Tampa Bay needs to play a perfect game. And I think Kansas city can win it even if they don't. So th- it's going to be a great battle though, because again, much like I was building up with the NFC title game, there is an interesting storyline here. Either you're going to have Kansas city beginning the, the, you know, the beginnings of a dynasty, uh, being able to go back to back would be a huge accomplishment. Very difficult to do in the National Football League. In yeah, the and nobody era. nobody's done it since Tom Brady in back in 0304 with the yeah. New England Patriots. It hasn't happened in this league for a long time. And in on the other side of it, you have Tom Brady trying to win a Super Bowl at age 43 with a new football team after 21 seasons with with New England. Uh, so that that way it'll be really interesting. And hey, Mike, I know you're a big weekend fan. You get a weekend performance out of this too. So. Congratulations. All right. right. Thanks very much. Well, with that, we are going to sign off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. And as as Wes suggested a moment ago, we are going to go on a little bit of an indefinite hiatus here with PTO season. Yeah, we both need to get some vacation time in. We're both going to be in and out of the office. So we're going to shut it down for a while. We will be back. Trust me. Um, I'm just not going to say exactly when. It's so, a surprise. Uh, yeah. So stay tuned to Packers.com and, and all of your uh, all your podcast notifications for when we do come back. But uh, whenever that is, we will see you then. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Take care. Take care.